right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 315. With that number, we will give a shout out to Casey Short. The defender played 315 minutes for the U.S. Women's National Team in 2016, the first year that she earned minutes for the senior squad. She's heading into her sixth season with the Chicago Red Stars, and she's heading into it with a new last name. She is now Casey Kruger, not to be confused with Allie Krieger, but we could. I mean, how cool would that be to have two outside backs of the national team, Kruger and Krieger? Anyway, triple chat for this episode. So much going on with the start of NWSL preseason and she believes coming up. So first chat is with John Halloran from Equalizer Soccer. We talked about the She Believes roster for the USA. Also talked a little bit about Chicago Red Stars, which is where the the team that, that John covers the most. Then I caught up with my friend Rich Laverty from the UK. Again, we had just spoken in December, but with Phil Neville stepping down earlier from the England squad, we have the naming of Hegarisa and Rianne Wilkinson uh, to replace him. So Rich and I talked about that and England not being able to play their mini tournament and, uh, you know, what their plans are for Team GB this summer. And then finally spoke with my friend Tony, who runs the NWSL Analytica Twitter feed uh, from Argentina. He is so excited because Argentina is replacing Japan for the 2021 she believes tournament so we talked a lot about argentina players that we need to be looking for during that tournament and of course the usual gensplainer segment this one is on nwsl preseason rosters so hope you enjoy this episode don't forget to follow me on twitter two channels for you to follow at mixzone with two x's and at keeper notes and hey that NWSL Almanac is at the printers. It'll be ready to ship next week. So go ahead, go to keepernotes.com and place your order now. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with John Halloran from Equalizer Soccer. John, we got another roster drop today and I was kind of surprised it came so early um i was thinking it would be maybe next week but vlaco really really has a plan here right like it's it seems like none of this is accidental none of this is last minute this is all no we we got a we got a plan which in these days i think is huge considering how much chaos there is swirling around us yeah and i think that we're also five months away from the olympics so (laughs) i think anybody anybody who hasn't well okay okay, we're assuming there's going to be olympics but um if you don't have a plan at this point, you're, you know, you would be grossly incompetent. So, yeah, uh, I don't think there were a lot of surprises. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see this uh, gradual narrowing down of some of the choices. Um, I think maybe we're looking a little bit at the periphery right here. But uh, I think everybody has a pretty clear idea of who the 20 to 25 players are who are, are in the running for these, these 18 spots. Well, and one thing I also thought was interesting was like last time around, probably last several, she believes they did a February camp of a certain number of players and then named it, you know, cut it down to here's the 23. And, and this was a little different. Oh, you know, one announced earlier than I thought, maybe they were just trying to line it up with a new preseason, which, which makes sense, but like, okay, here's a 23, 
and these th- these three will train with us but they're like no here's here's the set 23 for she believes and some changes that you know i i wasn't expecting i was assuming that it would probably be um you know a little closer to what we saw against columbia but i like that he's he's brought in some different players for the 23 and also brought in some different players for the training players right like you have that camp let's take full advantage of of every opportunity to see those players because even if they're not someone that is gonna necessarily make that olympic roster this summer you know we we're actually not far away from from women's world cup qualifying for 2023 at this point right. right and and you know and you never know what happens with with injuries too but but looking at this list um i mean the first surprise obviously because i always start with keepers when they do a roster release is casey murphy coming in um instead of Ashlyn Harris or Aubrey Bledsoe, but the the two that were in camp alongside Alyssa Nair and Jane Campbell. Now Murphy's been called in before, never capped. Um, but you know what? What did you think of of that? I thought that Harris not getting called in was a bit of a surprise, and I, I suppose you could say the same for Bledsoe. But you have to look at this in two different ways, in my opinion. One is that. Unless Alyssa Nair gets hurt, no one else is going to play a single minute of the Olympic Games, right? I mean, right. we kind of know that the MO of the, the U.S. women's national team is that the number one keeper is the number one keeper and gets almost all of the minutes. I think we were all probably a little bit shocked that Jane Campbell even got those minutes against Columbia. Um, so, you know, in, in that regard – what does it matter who the number two or number three goalkeeper uh, on the roster, uh, who they are? But Harris is a little bit surprising to me because the flip side of this is if Mayer does get hurt, you really want to make sure that whoever you have in there as your number two is not only a good keeper, because the U.S. has seven, eight keepers who would start on, what, all but two or three teams in the entire world. Right. Um, you have to make sure that that player has the experience uh, on the international level, playing in big games, playing in full stadiums, playing in pressure situations, that it's not going to be uh, kind of their baptism by fire, if you will. And exactly. I really think, <laughs> right. And in that regard, I think Harris is still the best choice. We can, we could nitpick, little things here and there. We could say you've got to look to the future, and that's Campbell and Bledsoe and Murphy. But the reality is, no matter what anybody tells you, the number one job of Lacko Ananoski this summer is to win an Olympic gold medal. It is not exactly. to prep for the 2023 20, uh, World Cup. And it is not to look at fresh players. Uh, his number one job is to win the gold medal. And, you know, forbid something happens to, to Alyssa Nair, you want to make sure that that number two is going to be able to step in uh, and not uh, and not have uh, a, a total dearth of international experience. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, when you say that, that's been the glaring problem that we've seen for the U.S. keeper ranks over the last several years that for whatever reason, Jill Ellis was capping Hope Solo so much, even right. in so many of the meaningless like victory tour games and, and stuff like that, that you weren't getting time for 
for any backup. So you think about it, uh, Ashlyn Harris didn't get her first senior cap till 2013. And then even going into the 2015 World Cup had so few caps. Alyssa Nair only getting her first cap the December before that Women's World Cup. So you had two backups that had fewer than 10 caps between them. Now, with Hope Solo being pushed out of the program in 2016, at least that forced Ellis to give Nair more time. And she even spoke about that. It's like, I need to mix up the keeper more keepers more. And we still barely saw that. Like when I think of Adriana French getting um, the start against, yeah, against England and she believes 2019 and then Harris against Brazil in that same tournament, it was only because they were resting there, right? Like that clearly wasn't planned. And it's not fair to have someone be the backup where, you know, the pressure on them is only if the, you know, the worst thing happens, do you play, but then we'll need you to be amazing, right? You need them to have, have that time, right? Even if it's only the, just under the lights with the crowd, you know, it's, it's, it's not the same as scrimmaging in, in practice. So I, I was not surprised actually to see, Vlaco start Jane in that second Columbia match. What I was surprised about was that she actually got the full 90. That was her first time in her fourth cap that she got to play the full 90, that she wasn't brought in as a late sub or pulled out early. So it's like, good, there's there's some experience under her belt. And now with Argentina um, being part of this tournament, um, you know, and, and playing the USA last, who knows, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there if U.S. is going into that final game with two wins and, you know, being assured of the, the tournament title that, hey, maybe maybe you see Murphy, maybe you see Campbell again. Um, but yeah, it is like, I think what you're saying is, is so true, especially when you only have two keepers on, on the Olympic roster. You have an alternate, but you can only bring in that alternate if one of the other two get, gets injured. But that, you know, you know who, who's coming off the bench if you have to bring in someone off the bench. So so let's talk about, about the other small changes to this roster from, from the Columbia camp. So Alex Morgan returning, obviously, no longer, uh, you know, being exposed to COVID. Uh, Kristen Press returning after re- recuperating from an illness. Um those are really, I think, was there anybody else that that's, oh, Sophia Smith coming in. Uh, she was part of the camp in January, but we didn't see her play either game, I don't remember. She had an injury, I think Vlaco talked about, during the warm-up for the first Columbia game. All right, so that, that kept her off. Um, what do you think about, you know, some of the players here who we haven't seen a lot for the national team. Now, aside from Akaria, who, you know, just got her first cap, but like Alana Cook, a lot of American-based fans are not going to know her, right? We, we saw right. a glimpse of her in Challenge Cup. You know, she had her first cap uh, back in 2019, but it, it, it sounds like, it looks like she's definitely on Vlaco's radar. Yeah, if you look at the defensive battle and uh, – we talked about this a little bit before we started, but I wrote a, a piece for the equalizer about the choices that are available for, for Andonofsky and trying to get this number down to 18. Um, you, you really have Midge Purse, Alana Cook, Emily Sonnet, Tierna Davidson, 
And if we want to count Allie Krieger in there, that's five players really probably for only two spots. They're probably only going to bring two backups uh, at the, at the defensive position, considering the restrictions of the roster. And that's a, that's a pretty brutal competition, right? You get more than half of the people that are ostensibly in the pool aren't going to go. And so you're right. I think if I were to look at this, I would say that Cook and Davidson are probably battling it out right now for that last spot. If, if we want to read the tea leaves and assume that, um, that that Andonofsky has moved on from Krieger. Now he insisted today that that wasn't the case and we can take him at his word, but you know, coaches also have to be smart about, how they say these things. So we, we really don't know where his, his thought processes are. Um, but yeah, you've probably got five people fighting for two spots. And I think Cook and Davidson are the ones that are fighting for that backup spot as a center center back. Well, and it's, it's important to, I, I think, you know, to, to say again that, you know, there's the older players in some cases like, you know, he knows what they can bring. He knows what Krieger can do. He knows what Ashlyn Harris right. can do. Um, even Tobin Heath being injured right now doesn't leave her out of contention for the Olympics because he knows what he can, what she can do. So it's 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 an opportunity of, hey, I, you know, let me. Here's my last chance, really, uh, before you start to really have to whittle down that roster to to look at at those bubble players uh, because after after she believes we've got uh, two friendlies in April, two friendlies in June. Uh, and I would assume the Olympic roster would be announced right before or right after those June friendlies. Right. Um, so yeah, this is probably the last, you know, larger pool uh, before he has to narrow things down. And, you know, it's been talked about, you know, definitely on the broadcasts and such about, you know, the Olympic roster is smaller. And I know there's people that go, oh, well, they should make it bigger. It's not right. It's like, well, you know, this is a different tournament. This is a different event. Obviously, it's not an all soccer event. Um, the The number of athletes involved, you know, it's, I think it was over 10,000, over 11,000 in, in Rio in 2016, you know, so there's some kind of population control, but also the, the alternate mechanism is different. So World Cup, you've got 23 players, you can use any of the 23. Um, and once the tournament starts, nobody can be replaced. So if somebody gets hurt, you know, tough, you've still got plenty of players. Olympics, however, you name 18, you also name four four alternates. The alternates can travel if if the federation wants to pay for them themselves and of course the US will will pay for them. Um, and if somebody gets hurt as long as that injury is, you know, certified by the medical team and cleared by FIFA and all that stuff, then they are replaced on the roster. So it's it's a slightly different situation. So in a way we're kind of looking at 22 and not uh, just 18. But I also think it's a fascinating kind of barrier of, you know, we saw this last time with Heather O'Reilly being in the four alternates and Megan Rapino coming back from injury, right. making the 18, right? Because obviously well, if you still, are, if you are an alternate injured. and still injured. Yeah. And right. obviously, you know, someone from the four alternates can only move on to the real team if someone is ruled out, right? So 
you know, I, I, I really enjoyed reading your article last week on Equalizer about, you know, cu- trying to predict a, a roster. And, you know, it, it is in some ways reading tea leaves. And I, w- I would also think it'll be dependent on performance in Challenge Cup for any of the NWSL players. You know, uh, early end of your cell season for the players playing abroad, I'm sure Vlatko and his staff are, are paying close attention to performance, right? That I, I think he's made it clear where it's like nobody's getting this on reputation. You've got to be in form and playing well and, you know, doing doing all the right things. Uh, but talk about some of your selections for the 18 versus the, the four uh, in your article. Yeah, I think the the... The tough thing is you have to look at how the positions break down. So if, if I'm looking at an 18-player roster, I'm you're numbering two goalies, so that leaves you with 16 field positions. And the way that the U.S. plays in that 4-3-3, you can then bring six defenders, five midfielders, and five forwards, and that leaves you with two backups uh, on all three lines. Um, and the ratio of backup defenders to starting defenders is a little bit lower uh, based on the way that that works out with the numbers. But the tricky part, I think, is that when you look at this, Julie Ertz obviously can play that six or as a center back. So does that mean you're more likely to squeeze another player in on another line if you know that you have an extra player that you can move around if need be. And I think the other, the one that I think makes the decision-making on this so, so difficult is Katerina Macario, because she, even on this roster that came out today, she's listed as a midfielder. She played both games against Columbia up front. So is she a wing? Is she a nine? Is she a 10? And where Vlatko sees her, wants to play her, um, and, and where she, she can fit in, that versatility becomes really, really important. And there are a lot of other players you can say that about in some regard, right? Like uh, Carly Lloyd used to be a 10. Um, there, were, there, there was a time many years ago when Megan Rapino and Tobin Heath played as midfielders. Um, but really, Macario and Ertz are the only two that I think – are probably going to realistically float, uh, assuming they make the roster. And that's what makes things really difficult to try to come to a final decision because you don't know where he's going to slide these players in. And the, the hard part when I was looking at it, trying to get it down, that really that last spot was that if he counts Macario as a midfielder and you know that you're bringing Ertz, Haran, Mewis, and Lavelle, does that mean that Christy Mewis doesn't make the roster? And that, I think, um, that would be a really tough cut, I think, for him, not only because of his relationship with Mewis, but I think as much as we try to maintain an era of neutrality in this, I think Mewis's story is just so inspirational, what she's done over the past 12 months. Right. Uh, I think it just kind of naturally makes you want to root for her. Right. And then the sister narrative and right. Yeah. What the two of those bring to the field is, is amazing. And, and there's, you know, it, it, it's going to be challenging for him to, 
to narrow it down and, you know, and for us to predict, you know, who he's going to pick. Though there's got to be some benefit in having players that can play multiple roles, right? Like Crystal Dunn, you can put her almost anywhere. And And it seems like Midge Purse could be, that kind of player too though it seems like he's more likely to play her as an attacker than what we've seen you know her somewhat in nwsl used as a defender she's a much better forward i think i don't i i it kind of drives me nuts as much as i am normally a fan of the let's try a forward at outside back uh and we know that it works o'hara was a forward done ostensibly still is a forward or at least an attacking mid who also happens to be one of the best left backs in the world. Um, but purse at that experiment just never has seemed to fully work out. And it, it is ironic that as deep as the U S women's national team is, I really don't think we know who the backup outside back is. And that's another reason why I thought the Krieger omission is a little bit surprising because when Kelly O'Hara went down in the 2019 World Cup final, it was Krieger who went on and played that second half and protected that lead against the Netherlands. Um, can Emily Sonnet do that? Yeah, I think so. But uh, Sonnet, I think, is probably just – I think you probably have a higher upside with Sonnet, but I think you probably have a higher potential of, of errors or fouls or mistakes as well. Right, right. I mean, she's got 48 caps, but we know a lot of those have come at her actually playing center back, right? And she's been converted, uh, you know, at least on the national team level right. to an outsider because, you know, that's where that's where the need has been. And of course, you know, on the U.S. soccer press release, Midge Purse is listed as a defender, <laughs> but right. we, so we saw her play up top against, uh, you know, Columbia. And then, uh, you know, what do you do with Carly Lloyd if, you know, what if she's the odd player out? Um, Right. Because, I mean, my question is, and and it's got to be the biggest challenge for any player, especially these intensely, highly competitive players. They all want to make the roster, right? And, you know, we saw what happened in, in 2016. Heather O'Reilly, you know, she was the ultimate team player and was like alternate or no, I'm, you know, taking one for my team. You know, I I don't hear those words coming from Carly and I could be wrong, yeah. but that's but that's not the Carly Lloyd we've seen publicly. So, you know, it's like I I appreciate that Vlaka's message has been it's it's you know if if you're in form and we saw some really good form from Carly Lloyd against Columbia, but yeah, how do you narrow down this incredibly deep list of attackers? Yeah, and I think if you're looking at alternates, you might have that inkling to not bring somebody who's going to be unhappy in that role for fear that right. it might damage your team chemistry. But I will say. As much as, as much as we know that that Carly spoke out post World Cup about how unhappy she was in Ellis's decision making, you didn't get, at least vocally, you didn't get that vibe in France. And she right. spoke to the media very regularly in the mix zones. Um, you know, she never said anything until the tournament was over. And so, you know, you I, I suppose you could you could look at, you know, well, what did her body language say or what was she doing in the locker room? But, you know, 
even even when you're around the team just for the you know the 15 minutes or so that they sometimes grant the media uh as the team kind of goes out and starts their their pregame ritual like she's usually off on her own doing kind of doing her own thing so i don't really get the impression that she would be a problem if you brought her along as the alternate. But I you do have to ask yourself, and you do have to wonder if that's in the back of Blacko's mind. Yeah, and I think you always have to consider that when it comes to, you know, the, the elusive chemistry issue, um, especially when, unlike, you know, there we know there are alternates, or at least people named as alternates for the World Cup roster, but they're never named publicly, and they wouldn't travel with the team. Olympics, as we mentioned before, the alternates travel with the team. You want to be able to have, you know, basically, right. you know, full-size squads. Um, but let's move on, talk about, there are three players named uh, as training players for the She Believes camp. So they can't play in the games, but they'll be training with the team. Emily Fox, our, our number one draft pick. Jalen Howell, uh, who got her first cap uh, against the Netherlands in November. And then Mallory Pugh, uh, coming back from injury. We only saw her briefly uh, for NWSL in one game in the fall series. So Mallory, now now on the Chicago roster, that's, that's your home team. So t- talk to me about Mallory Pugh. I mean, it, it's really the question whether we're talking about the Red Stars or for the U.S. It's can she, can she stay consistently healthy? And that was even the focus of the press conference she did following the trade. Uh, and that was not just her talking about that. That was also their, their head coach, Rory Dames, talking about that, that. The number one thing that they have to do is get her back to 100% physically before they even worry about whether they can get her back to the Mal Pugh that I think we all saw or thought we were seeing at the beginning of 2016. Right. Right. I mean, that was five years ago when I think we were seeing her really play at the top of her game. And it's, it's, I don't know. It feels weird to say that because she's still, she's still so young, but you know, she, she's been a part of this team for over five years now. Well, and of course, it was a year later that she joined Washington Spirit, leaving UCLA before she'd ever played a game for UCLA. She'd only been, you know, enrolled that spring. Um, But then we still saw her very little for the Spirit because either of injury or time with the national team, right? Especially especially in 2019, where the the World Cup players were gone so much. Um, And I've thought about this before, where... You know, women's soccer, at least in this country, we haven't seen people go pro that young, right? And, you know, who knows what it's going to be like, what what it was like for, let's see, how old was she? She was 19, you know, when she joined the league, moving across the country, living with other girls maybe a year out of college, having and not having the college experience. Like, who knows how well she was taking care of herself or what the resources provided by the spirit right. were, right? We've, we've seen huge leaps in the league in terms of the resources and the infrastructure that, that each team has. But I feel like that's the thing that can lead to the long-term problem of like this little injury is not going away or, you know, and I don't think it's fair to dismiss any young player where it's like, okay, she's only 22 people, right? Like think about it. Like everybody, she would have just been drafted, right? 
we will. Yeah, <laughs> and I think there's, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's two things there. I think we, if we look at what what happened in Washington, I think there's some tacit realization that that they didn't provide her with what she needed. Because if anybody didn't see, there was a story that ran in the Washington Post, I think yesterday, that talked about them using Brianna Scurry as a uh, mentor for Trinity Rodman. So they're kind of looking back at what they've done before and, and thinking maybe we didn't do enough to set Mallory Pugh up for success. The other thing is, is that, you know, the injury issue and the never being allowed to get healthy issue is pervasive with players on the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, we saw that years ago when Alex Morgan had the sprained ankle and then it became a stress reaction, which is on the on the spectrum to becoming a stress fracture. We've seen yeah, that. Yeah, uh, like it wasn't diagnosed properly or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, whether that's Pew in the situation, Morgan Bryan for Gratra. Now, how many years was she just not healthy and never given a camp off because she, you know, these players, and this is one of the downsides, I think, of the way that the Federation contracts are set up is that the Federation uh, players get called in a lot of times when they're not fully healthy. We know that uh, two or three years ago, Alyssa Nair had a groin injury that would never heal, and she still kept getting called into every single camp. And um, she actually, I believe, learned how to take her goal kicks with both feet that year because <laughs> That's know, her good. groin was, was right. It's amazing, but it shouldn't come to that, is I guess my point. And right. the, the national team does not have the best history with – allowing players to get healthy if, if their period of getting healthy conflicts with a national team camp more times than not they're coming into the national team camp well and of course a lot of that because it was tied to you know compensation or i'm under contract or they can't call in other players and, and i think it's also like that. that's why I'm, I'm happy to see in a way it sounds weird to say it that you know harrison and krieger aren't coming in for she believes when okay Vodka knows what they can do. Those are two older players that don't necessarily need the the grind from a camp where they're not going to see time in the in the games. Like I remember, you know, in in previous eras of the U.S. national team, like when they would do January camps and and go over to, uh, for that tournament in China that they used to do every January. A few times they would say, "Hey, we're leaving Christine Lilly and Christy Rampone and so and so at home because they don't need." an extra international flight, you know, like we're going to use those spots to, 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 to test a few young players. Right. So you're not totally changing over the roster, but, but you're very judiciously, you know, portioning out the rest. Right. And, And I, and I don't think, you know, recently that they've been savvy about that at all, you know, and I would have to imagine too the Columbia camp and now the, she believes camp, the fact that there's no travel within the camp itself, because of COVID, right? Yeah, both, both Columbia games at Orlando, all three, she believes games in Orlando. That's huge, you know, that they're not having to do that that flight, you know, between it. And and of course, I remember last summer the the NWSL coaches getting frustrated during Challenge Cup that, you know, we we heard about this that 
national teamers were having some of their minutes managed. Yeah, right. and, and, and like, I understand the mindset from U.S. soccer want to manage those minutes, but I'm also like, there's absolutely no national team Right. game scheduled for at least six more months so why you know it's it just yeah it's it's still that very complicated puzzle that that needs to get worked out in terms of yeah bottom line these players need the best care possible so that moving from club to country you know everyone's taken care of and also that they're not necessarily playing unnecessary friendlies right and and we've yeah. seen and so many of those in the past. The flip side of this too, it's going to hit very soon, is that with some of these players starting to sign their contracts with the clubs, some of that power dynamic is going to shift because right. you know with the clubs paying their salaries, their club salaries, um, you know that 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 creates an interesting look at uh, who's really in charge here and. Um, and the other flip side is that there are a few cases in which the federation paying the contract has benefited some of these players because they can go back to their club environment and they are under no pressure to play in games at all. And we've seen that with a couple of players who have very, uh, I guess, uh, savvily uh, used the, these uh international breaks, uh, I mean, breaks from international play to schedule their surgeries and their recoveries so that they're ready for big tournaments, right? Like Kelly O'Hara is probably not healthy for the U.S. in the 2019 World Cup if she's playing week to week for her club or trying to play through various injuries. So their ability to say, well, you know, we don't have a major tournament for two years, so I'm going to schedule my surgery for March when my NWSL team's kicking off. There's a lot of freedom to do that, which I don't think is going to exist there two, three years from now. Well, and yeah, and if your contract is with the club, then you talk to your club before you schedule that injury right. surgery. Unlike post-2015 Women's World Cup, Sydney LaRue, Alex Morgan both have surgery. Yep. Their, their clubs yep. find out about it by reading, you know, on, on, on Twitter about it. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's something that, that, that has to change. Um, but anyway, back, back to, to Chicago red stars. I mean, any other thoughts now that, so we also got along with the, she believes roster, we got, Hey, here's the end of cell preseason roster. Any, any Chicago thoughts you want to give me? Well, I think the kind of the running joke among people who follow the team is that they're going to have to play a, a six-person midfield based on, you know, because not only did they already have a crowded midfield, but then they bring in Sarah Waldmo, uh, they bring Nikki Stanton back into the team. Um, for people who were really paying attention, Ella Stevens started to sh- to show up last year and look really good. Um, yeah. So now you've got you know, you've already got three or four, and now you've got another three coming in. Um, it's obviously very stacked there. Their defense looks very good. I, I will say that I do think they need one more forward to really uh, take that step up. Uh, and I thought Madison Haley was a great draft choice, but she's going to play with Stanford in the spring. And right. so she's not going to arrive until halfway in the season. And then when she does, she's a rookie. So she 
you have no idea, and you very well could get nothing out of her this year. Uh, and, that, and it's not a problem. It is what it is. And Rory and the Red Stars are very good about developing players long-term and looking at them long-term. So this isn't a critique of Haley in any way, but I do think that they really need one more goal scorer or creator on that front line. I, I don't not sure people realize how big of a loss Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill were. Uh, because, that, that was going to be my next question because McCaskill yeah. seemed to several times during the Challenge Cup like, okay, if I have to do this myself, I will. Like we didn't get to see Yuki right. as much due to injury, and then she was out for the the fall on loan. But yeah, those those are two big pieces. Yeah, they're both starters. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're losing two thirds of your front line. They were the starters along Sam Kerr when they played in the championship. 18 mm-hmm. months ago. So now you've lost your entire front line in, in a year and a half. Um, you know, there are positives. Kaylee Watt looked like she was starting to get back to her best form uh, by the fall. And hopefully Mallory Pugh can come in. And I look, I don't think she's going to make the Olympic roster. So I think Chicago will have her available all year, which is great for them. But uh, yeah, McCaskill was right on the verge, I think, of us finally seeing her best form as a professional and seeing kind of back to, if you remember when uh, her senior year at South Carolina, when she was just starting to get some national team call-ups right around 2017 um, or, or for anybody who got to see McCaskill play over in the W league, there were moments there where you could really see there was another level she could go to. And I thought we were going to get there and, you know, I don't know whether that's going to happen for her or not in Louisville, Louisville, but I can tell you definitively that it is a loss for Chicago. Um, and then Yuki, not only with the goal scoring, but the being able to provide the leadership, the the chemistry. She's such a fun person, and at, at the same time, a very professional person. And that's hard to find somebody that can balance that. And she was also incredibly popular with the fans here. So I know that one was kind of a gut punch uh, for the team and, and for the fan base. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last question for you, John, what are your thoughts on uh, bringing in a fourth keeper for preseason? Obviously I know Emily Boyd's coming back from ACL, but you know, the, the Utah third keeper, Melissa Louder coming in as a preseason trialist. And then also the one name, well, there's there's two names that I don't really know from Chicago's preseason roster: Tatum Malazzo and hopefully I'm saying it right, Ina Sabanich. Um, do you know anything about those players? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I, I don't. <laughs> All right, so we'll have um, we'll have to Google those players. But what about what about yeah. bringing in a fourth keeper? You know, I, I I don't think this was ever a possibility of being a thing, so I'm just throwing this out there. But it kind of bummed me out a week or two ago when we saw that Brick Eckerstrom retired because I really thought yes! she, she had the potential to start somewhere or at least be somebody's Olympic backup, and Chicago would have been such a perfect place for her to come in and have that experienced backup who also still would have started eight games. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, look, people here have been, been high on Emily Boyd, and obviously she hasn't really gotten a chance uh, to, to prove herself just because Mayer is here and Mayer is so consistent. Um, 
But yeah, the it could get interesting during the Olympics because I'm not sure that Chicago knows for sure who the backup is. And I think we saw that two years ago. And the name's going to slip my mind right now. But they mid-season they brought in the the Australian keeper. Oh yeah, Mackenzie Arnold. Yeah. yeah, on Boyd uh, for the last third of the season. And so I think there is some hesitation uh, about whether whether Boyd really is going to be ready to step in when, yeah. when the time comes this summer. Yeah, always got to keep it competitive. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk She Believes roster and also Chicago and keep up the great work on Equalizer Soccer. Thank you. Time for a little gensplaining, and this week's topic is NWSL preseason rosters. So preseason is underway. Uh, Players are supposed to report when they can. Uh, Of course, you still have some players coming back from international duty, uh, some players returning from loans abroad. Uh, Of course, there's probably going to be quarantine uh, that, that has to happen for some of those players. Um, And of course we have players who were drafted in last month's NWSL draft who will not report uh, players that the teams knew that they planned to play the spring season with their colleges and possibly their fall seasons as well. Uh, so won't be reporting till later, but for right now teams are allowed up to 40 players in camp at any one time. So if you have your national teamers away, like say, for she believes or a camp in England or something like that uh, those players don't count towards your roster so you can have 40 40 players in in preseason in camp Uh, that number has to be reduced to 32 by March 1st and the roster deadline for Challenge Cup, which kicks off April April 9th, will be April 2nd. And just like we saw with last summer's Challenge Cup, roster size will be 22 to 28. Um, I would assume once we get to the regular season starting in mid-May, that rosters will be reduced to 26. Um, But that's what it looks like right now. You'll have every team, you know, they've got draftees coming in. By getting drafted, you're basically guaranteed a roster spot in preseason camp. That's the only thing you're guaranteed. You're not signed under contract until you are signed. And of course, we've seen every team bring in preseason trialists. So, you know, those players are competing for a contract as well. And we do have two FIFA windows that are happening during this extended preseason. We've got the She Believes one coming up, basically the late February international window. Uh, And then also there is a early April one that falls right at the beginning of Challenge Cup. So that, that of course, is affecting these rosters. But one more time, you've got 40 max right now, reduced to 32 by March 1st and and reduced to 22 minimum, 28 maximum for Challenge Cup, uh, that deadline being April 2nd for the tournament that starts April 9th. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Rich Laverty from the UK. Um, Rich, it seems like you and I always have a reason to talk because there's always something going on now 
with with women's soccer over there and and I'm loving it. Are are you? Does it mean that your your life is just overflowing with women's soccer coverage? Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like that long since I feel like it was only a few weeks since I was on, and I can't even remember what we were talking about um, because <laughs> so much has happened in that time. Um, but that's women's football, isn't it? Like, yeah. I don't know what it's like day to day in the US, but over here, I always say, like, I, I genuinely have said this so many times over the years. There is never a quite, even if it's a little news story, there's always. There's always something going on. Obviously, this week with with Dark Kemper's debut, and obviously, yeah, England and uh, postponements and everything, and cup matches and cups getting postponed. There, yeah, there's always something going on. It's crazy. So the the, the latest news that I wanted to follow up with you about was um, the announcement that Neville was going to go ahead and leave, um, joining MLS of all places, which is for a whole different podcast. So we're not re- going to really talk about that. Um, but who his replacements are. I was really impressed when I heard that Hagarisa, former star of the Norway team that won in 95, and she even played the very first season of WSA. She's going to be in charge until Serena Wiegmann can take over. And her assistant will be Rianne Wilkinson, uh, you know, from Canada. So I was like, wow, those are, you know, great hires um, for an interesting interim gig where you've got the Olympics this summer, but right now no games scheduled for for England for various reasons. But talk about, um, you know, Neville's move, uh, but more importantly, you know, the, the hiring of Risa and Wilkinson. Yeah, I think we feel... It was a sort of a quite sorry but almost predictable way that it ended because it kind of just, after kind of a promising World Cup where it wasn't perfect, but obviously, you know, we could go back over that semi-final and the ifs and buts many, many times. And, you know, England did come close. But after that, you know, it kind of did spiral out of control and, and it kind of ending like this feels almost apt. You know, he was going to have the Olympics and a home Euros and, you know, a big opening game at Old Trafford in front of, you know, 75,000 fans. And obviously, even if he was still here, whether 75,000 fans would have ever happened in the current climate, God only knows. But yeah, it was kind of like a pretty sad way for it to end. But kind of predictable given how the last year for England has sort of panned out with with not having games and, and the last games they did have not being very good, particularly she believes last year. And yeah, you know, it obviously gave the FA a problem because they don't or didn't have a coach, obviously, in the interim until Serena comes in in September. And I wrote a few weeks ago that, you know, you talk about legends and, and icons of the way, and of course, look, you don't have to be a legend to be a good coach, and, and being a legend doesn't make you a good coach. But, you know, Hager and, and Rianne and, and Serena, that you're talking three of, you know, the most recognisable names over any era in the women's game. And it's exciting. It's almost tinged with a kind of bitter sweetness because we are only going to have them kind of short term. Um, Serena's obviously already started bringing in her own staff from September onwards. So maybe Hager and Rianne will lead Team GB. We don't know about that yet. And of course, we don't know whether there'll be an Olympic Games. Um, so they're here for February camp. Uh, they have contracts until September, but their contracts are, I believe, as actually assistants. They applied to be assistants to Phil Neville, so there could actually still be another 
head coach come in to work with them um, in subsequent camps, however many there will be, whether we actually get to have games or not. Um, so it's all a little bit complicated because they did technically, they never applied for the head coach role. They didn't apply for Serena's job. <laughs> they applied for Beth Priestman's job when she left to take the, the Canada job. So, and they've just both been promoted basically to, to work with each other. And it's exciting because Hager has got an unbelievable CV as a player and as a coach. You know, she's won a lot of domestic titles um, with LSK in Norway. She obviously worked with the US national team, I think 20 odd years ago with, with Pia, uh, sorry, 10 years ago with Pia. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rianne, obviously, yeah, you know, has had a great career with Canada and uh, obviously coached some of the youth teams over there. So on in the interim, you probably think, yeah, they couldn't have done any better. You know, I think I wrote that at the time. You're pr- probably not going to stumble upon two you know, bigger names and, and better coaches that you could get at that time scale. So it's exciting, but it's just a shame that we don't really have any games to kind of show for it because you sort of feel like you're wasting so much great coaching talent. Yeah, like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, England has the monopoly uh, on the women's coaching mm-hmm. talent. And and I was looking at the historical list of coaches for the England women's national team. And, you know, it would have been Serena, who was the first ever coach who, you know, did not come from the UK. Right. Um, but now it's, it's, it's Hagen and Rianne Wilkinson, like, you know, branching out that it's, you know, that there's coaches beyond um, the UK. But I, I think that speaks to just the tremendous growth of women's soccer over the last 10 years or so that we're seeing all those players uh, who were so great in the 90s, like Hagarisa or beyond, like Rianne Wilkinson, you know, who, who who's younger, but that they're going back and coaching, right? That they're they're making a career, like much much like Pia, right? Who's like basically your original generation, right? She, you know, was playing in the Euro in the 80s, had like a 17 year career. I think like the 96 Olympics was her last last big tournament. Um, but you know, it's it's like we're seeing the benefit of of those generations that there there's more people to 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 choose from um so i was i was just so excited to to see those but it is strange right that um i you know i I looked to see okay when are england's next games and there's there aren't any um and obviously it's you know beyond the program's control uh you know same like in the fall they would have played two games and those had to get canceled canceled as well so how did the how do these coaches you know what do you do in a camp that you know you don't have a a game to prepare for and when there's so much uncertainty yeah it's it's difficult because uh, i mean england probably have been the unluckiest nation in the world with covid postponements because obviously now the travel corridor has been shut so the teams like i believe sweden and denmark who were coming for kind of our own little version of she believes i mean england announced they were not going to she believes i think even before covid kind of made that an impossibility anyway so they were going to have their own tournament here but that's not possible because teams can't now come in and out without either going through isolation or or whatever the rules change all the time so but yeah, obviously last year, Germany, they were all set to play it. And then an England staff member tested positive and they couldn't risk going because Germany's COVID protocols meant that if anybody else tested positive out there, they'd have to stay there. 
uh, for 10 days. So that obviously wasn't practical with players needed back with clubs. So, and then Norway just decided not to come. They, they decided it wasn't safe. So, yeah, we've had no games for yeah nearly a year now. It was, she believes, last year. The camps have been essentially... They've they've had training games basically. They just put they they select slightly larger squads. They've had about thirty players in camp, uh, various camps, and they just play behind closed doors friendlies. I mean, they have let media into quite a few of them, which has been good. They try they tried with the last one to get them into sort of a stadium environment and really test them. So it was played at Stoke City's ground um, in November, which I was at, and it actually ended eight one, which was kind of amusing um given that it probably <laughs> should have been quite close given it was a, a inter-team friend i mean all the other games were quite close to be fair but that one was a little bit strange um and it's just it, it's so difficult right now because you know we're building up towards the olympics which for england is more difficult than anybody even with normal preparations because it's not going to be England, it's going to be Team GB. So you're going to have uh, Scottish players, you know, Welsh players, maybe even Northern Irish players. And you can't obviously, you can't group them all together yet. You can't do that until the summer. So you're kind of working with a team that whoever does take Team GB um, won't have this group of players. It will be a different group of players. And on top of that, you're living with not actually knowing if there's going to be an Olympic Games. So it's kind of a, a perfect storm of abnormalities for England with a lack of preparation, no games, working with a squad that, you know, won't be the squad in the summer and then not actually knowing whether you're going to have that camp. So it's a bit of a nightmare at the minute, to be honest. Obviously, it's all brought on by COVID, but I'm sure next uh, this month when they join up for camp, it will just be, it'll just be training games again. Um, they'll probably bring in some young players like they have in the last few camps and, and for Hager and, and Rianne to really get a feel for, for what the squad's like, but it's not ideal. Yeah. It's, it's such a strange time. And that, that and of course that's such an understatement, uh, but with so much uncertainty, like I, I guess at least England didn't have doesn't have to think about, well, how are we going to qualify for the Euro where as host, at least that's, you know, that's taken care of. Cause I'm sure we're going to see a lot of, issues come up, you know, with, with, with qualifiers as, as this continues. Um, but to not be able to play in any matches and just to, to stagnate like that, um, you know, maybe a, you know, two new coaches like this, you know, can, can create a refreshing scenario for that. And a bigger camp, right. Means that uh, there's an opportunity for players who might, not have been seen otherwise you know do you think there's anybody out there that you know a bubble player that has a chance now of ultimately making either the olympic roster or the euro roster for next year you know because she's getting some time now yeah it's really interesting because it was about this time last year we all kind of started penning articles about what we thought, you know, the Team GB squad would be like. And obviously at that time there were players that were injured that have now come back. There are players that were fit then that have now got injured or players that are not playing as much. You know, we had a lot of older players in the World Cup squad. I think there were eight players at that World Cup that were over 30. And obviously that, by the time this summer comes around, they're another two years down the line. So it's probably affected what the squad will look like quite a bit because England have brought a lot of young players 
into camp um, in the last six months or so. Players like Ella Toon at Man United, Lauren James came in from Man United in the last camp, Neve Charles, who's been at Chelsea, uh, Esme Morgan at Manchester. There's been a lot of uh, players that have come in and out that maybe are not ready for Olympics, but maybe they're preparing. I don't think the Olympic squad will be that different in terms of the England players. I think it'll probably be the more experienced ones uh, that get selected and they'll probably work with the other ones towards the Euros and the World Cup. But it's just not ideal because, you know, the US are probably instant favourites anyway because of obviously their status as world champions. And, you know, obviously they have a very strong squad and and England and other countries are trying to play catch up. And obviously you guys are having camps and playing friendlies and, you know, against Colombia and you've got She Believes and, and we're just doing not, you know, not through any fault of our own, but we just can't do anything at the minute. So, you know, when you're trying to bridge a gap that's already there, it's not like it's the other way around and the US are trying to catch us up. You know, if anything, we'll probably fall further behind. Um, it did make me chuckle a little bit. I saw the squad announcement for the US today and people sort of quoting, tweeting and saying they weren't happy with the squad or, you know, they'll, Tobin Heath needs to be back in or so-and-so needs to be back in. I thought, have you seen your squad? It is... <laughs> Literally, I was looking at the midfield and it was like Juliet, Lindsay Horan, Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, Macario. And I was like, you don't need anything else than that. That's world class. And like, it, it makes me that mentality of US fans of, oh, it still needs to be Spoiled. better. And I'm like, I'm like you, cannot, you cannot get better than that US squad. That's why they're world champions. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether US fans realise that European nations are struggling so much to actually just have camps and play games whilst they're playing games quite regularly. So, if anything, I think the US are probably pulling further ahead in terms of their preparations. Um, so, yeah, it's not ideal, but it has offered a great opportunity because there are a lot of young players now that have had camps, um, you know, that weren't in the picture a year ago because the whole calendar shifted. So it's offered up opportunities, but I still think if the Olympics go ahead, I don't think there'll be that many names in there that won't be, you know, unfamiliar to fans across the globe. You know, I, I think you'll see your Steph Hortons, your Ellen White's people like that. Maybe someone like a Beth England at Chelsea who didn't go to the World Cup. I think she's almost a nailed on pick, um, you know, and the likes of Leah Williamson that have really, that were at the World Cup but didn't necessarily play. Um, I think they'll definitely be there, but I don't think it will look too different to be honest. I think the Euro squad will. I think that's mm-hmm. probably a bigger aim for the FA as a whole, the Euros, obviously being at home as well. Um, but I think Team GB, I think it'll be even with the Scottish and Welsh play. But I mean, Jess Fishlock, for example, you know, she was out injured this time last year with an ACL. You know, she wasn't even in the conversation and she's had a fantastic season with Reading. Um, she's been very, very good. And, you know, someone like her, she's probably back in contention now. And, you know, the shift in calendar probably favoured players like her. Yeah. And when you were mentioning Tobin Heath, something that kind of made me laugh. I mean, I I, I think you're you're right to chuckle at, at the American fans where it's like, she's out with an injury. What She can't be in camp anyway. Um, but at the same time, I'm thinking... You know, we we've seen this move of those top U.S. players to the FAWSL: Heath, Press, Mewis, Lavelle, now Dahl Kemper. 
Do you think that that is something that could ultimately benefit some of the English national teamers? I hope so. I hope so. I'm, I'm sure, you know, Man United young players and, and Man City's young players have learned a lot physically and mentally training with those players and obviously Tottenham's players with Alex Morgan um, a little brief briefer. But yeah, you know, they're, they're world-class players. You know, I mean, the US team's not going to fall apart because Tobin Heath's not in it. You know, it's not like they have no depth whatsoever. And it, I think I've said it on this podcast before, but it still made me chuckle at the World Cup when... Megan Rapino was obviously out of the semi-final and everyone sort of went a little bit mad. And I was like, well, they've brought a world-class player in to replace her. It's not like the US have no depth. So it's um, it's been great to have them, you know, and, and I hope it is longer. Obviously, Abby's here for, for two and a half years, which is great. We don't obviously know with Rose and, and obviously, I think Rose, Tobin and Kristen have obviously all had changes of circumstances with the their US teams whilst they've been in England or Rose has changed just before she came to England. Um, Sam has the courage to go back to, but obviously it's a sort of different looking North Carolina courage to the one that she left. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe these players might, you know, think, oh, actually, you know, Abby and, and you know, other big players are coming to England on, on long-term contracts and maybe actually we want to stay, you know. I don't know. Obviously, Tobin and Kristen, it's... Probably more complex, obviously, with the, the the Louisville situation and the fact they've been, you know, picked in the expansion draft, and you know, people are speculating. Obviously, they're going to get traded onto Angel City next year, and you know, if that happens, maybe they will stay in England until that happens. Nobody knows. Um, you know, maybe Abby will have a little word with Sam um, and, and Rose. She was asked about that today, but, you know, she kind of obviously played that down and said, you know, it was down to them whether they wanted to stay or not. So I, I, th- I hope it does. You know, I mean, Man-, Man United and Man City in particular have a lot of the best young English players. Like I said, the likes of Lauren James and Ella Toon at Man United and, you know, Jess Park and, and Lauren Hemp and Georgia Stanway and co at, at Manchester City. So they were all good players and exciting talents in their own rights. But yeah, you know, to have those, not just world-class players, you know, absolute top-class players, but winners, you know, people that have won, obviously, championships in the US, but, you know, World Cups as well. So I, I hope it has a huge impact. And if it if it's beneficial for the England national team, then uh, happy days. But, you know, maybe playing in this league will benefit them in terms of the US as well, which is not so happy days for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I guess it's a give and take, you know, kind of kind of scenario. But uh, you know, the it's been interesting to see here the coverage that we're now seeing of the WSL. You know, Equalizer Soccer is covering it very closely. U.S. National Team's Twitter covers it very closely. Okay, Be- you know, because you've got those players in there. Um, there's there's a little more access to it thanks to uh, you know NBC Sports and also you know the FA player and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I I love that it's kind of elevated w- women's soccer um, because usually in the off season in the past you know a lot of the NWSL players would go to Australia right it's like not quite as competitive um and of course time zone is is difficult right so here it it's like i you know i i would say easily it's it's the WSL and the NWSL as as the top two teams 
top two leagues in the world and you can argue you know on any day who's who's hmm. better and, and why but it's it's like but those two to me by far are are above everything else it's like right you know you've got psg and leon right but everything else in that league isn't nearly as strong right they're not they're not necessarily even fully professional some of the other clubs so it, it's like i i like that that with the the growth of of WSL and the restructuring a couple of years ago, and now you know, Man United finally you know added a team. Just that the commitment to it is a whole different level than than what we've seen before. And I think it, it, it's the pressure that the league must feel here is is great, right? Like, hey, you do have to think about you know how are you going to keep the American players here? Uh, how are you going to be, keep the best players here? Um, you know, all, all of that, that they, you can't predicate your league on, well, we'll just make sure that us soccer says that, you know, the, the top players have to stay here, you know? Yeah. Um, um, it's interesting because I mean, you know, newer fans won't remember, but you know, 15, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, a lot of the top English players were in America. You know, Kelly right. Smith played in America and Alex Scott played in America and Karen Carney played in America. Emma Hayes coached in America. So, yeah, Karen you know, Bardsley. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's kind of come the other way around, obviously, now. But like, the NWSL is still such a strong league. There's still so many, you know, there are, there's five US internationals here now, which means there's 20, 30 odd that aren't. You know, they're all still in NWSL. And obviously, you know, the likes of Denise O'Sullivan's gone back and Rachel Daly and, and Jess Fishlock will go back. And, you know, like we said off the air at the start, you know, the Leon players that are going to head to OL Reign, which will be huge, you know, to have, I mean, the two that everybody seems to think it will be, um, you know, two absolute worldwide icons. And, you know, for those to go to NWSL, and I'm sure they won't be the last big European players to go to the NWSL. You know, it's not like the league is in demise you know it's still as you said one of the strongest leagues if not the strongest in the world for competitive balance you know here you still get the odd you know the last few weeks with man city seven nil seven one and you know you even get your eight nines and, and even a 10 every now and again and i feel like anytime i check an nwsl score it's kind of there's never more than you know two goals in it either way really so I think competitive balance with that allocation system still makes the NWSL probably the most competitive. Um, And it, you know, it's great, you know, four or five players come here. It's not, it's not like it's a crisis, is it? So it's good for our league and, you know, the NWSL is still strong. It's just spreading that balance out around the world, which I think is, is good for the sport. Well, of course, but you know, a lot of fans feel that it's a crisis. <laughs> I know, but, you know, you know which, which, which um, cracks me up. But, but yeah, that comes like back to what I said earlier about the US fans sort of thinking, well, you know, the, the, the US squad today wasn't great because Tobin wasn't in it or Ali Krieger wasn't in it. And I'm like, it's still the best squad in the world, like by far. So, um, you know, it's, um, I think. I think that's passion, which is great. You know, the fans are so passionate these days and it's kind of the same here, you know, that fans kind of uh, probably scrutinise everything a little bit more now because there are more fans and there's a bigger fan base, which is great. So, um, I mean, it's not, it is not a crisis for NWSL. I mean, if in two, three years' time, like every single US women's national team players in Europe, then maybe it's a crisis, but I don't ever see it going quite that extreme, to be honest. 
Well, and and with all of these COVID, um, you know, issues and, and the U.S. players coming in, and I'm sure a lot of other things affecting WSL. I mean, what, how is the league going this year? How do, how do you feel like the 2020-2021 season has progressed? That It doesn't seem like there's been a lot of postponements or cancellations, at least of, of the league games. Yeah, we've had a few. I mean, you know, we obviously had Dubai Gate over the winter. Um, yes. Postponed a few, but... Um, we've had a few for the weather, obviously recently, but I mean, it's not been it's not been disastrous. It's not been at the point where, you know, we're talking about extending the season or anything, and the FA Cup getting sort of postponed for the time being allowed a lot of teams to actually play rearrange games yesterday. Um, so that was quite helpful, but it's actually really good. It, it's incredibly exciting at the top. Obviously, Chelsea are the favourites. You know, they're top at the moment. Uh, with with a game in hand, so you know Man United are up there, probably challenging those other big three more than maybe people thought they would in their second season. You know, Man City have come on really strong, like they had a tricky start, obviously with a new coach and and kind of adapting to a new style and and a lot of new players. You know, they, it wasn't just Sam and Sam and Rose. Obviously, Lucy Bronze came back and Alex Greenwood and and Chloe Kelly, etc. So. They've come on really strong. They're in great form at the minute. Arsenal are still in there. They've stagnated a little bit, but and there's big games in the next few weeks. You know, Arsenal play Manchester City next Sunday. I think on the Wednesday, then Arsenal play Chelsea, and on the Friday night, week on Friday, Man United play Man City. So there's a lot of big games to come. It's incredibly close. It's close at the bottom as well, um, with Bristol getting their first win at the weekend. So it's really exciting. Like you, you wouldn't want to put money on who's going to win the league. You certainly wouldn't want to put money on the champions league spots, you know, with three spots this year as well, you know, one of those big teams is going to miss out and it's incredibly close. And, you know, it's almost unthinkable that one of them will, because all four of them have been great at times this season. They all four of them have got, you know, absolute world-class footballers. You know, if, if Man United were to miss out, you know, and Heath and Press stayed. You're talking about those two not playing Champions League. Same with Man City, obviously, and and their players. And if Arsenal miss out, you know, you're talking about someone like Miedema not playing Champions League next season. So, uh, yeah, the, the the extra competitiveness now is is crazy. And and I think we're in for actually fingers crossed. And it all carries on okay, unlike last season, and it should because you know teams are being tested every week. So. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a great season, and the next few weeks are, are massive because there's big games basically every few days now for the next two or three weeks um, before the international break. And then, what happens with Champions League games later on this spring if there's still travel issues? I mean, I, I, yeah. I know there's so many question marks, but. Yeah, so Champions League, nothing's been said. I mean, it started obviously back in. Uh, November, December, um, and everything was fine. Like I was at the Manchester City Gothenburg game. I think Gothenburg basically flew in like a day before and flew back out after the game. Obviously, we're in a bubble the whole time. You know, they just went to their hotel, did their thing there, trained and played the game, and then went back home. So uh, I think it will still carry on. I think obviously with international camps it's a little bit different because teams will be coming for longer. Whereas Champions League you're kind of 
you're in and you're out, you know, within sort of a day or two. And, and obviously, as long as you're within your bubble and you're being tested, you know, all these teams in the Champions League are elite teams who are probably being tested in their own countries as well. So there's been nothing said. As far as I'm aware, the Champions League is going to resume, I think, next month in March as, as planned. I think the draw is in a few weeks uh, for the round of 16, which is exciting because you kind of get into that point there where you're starting to see top teams uh, drawn against each other. So, yeah, hopefully the Champions League can can continue because I think year on year, people start thinking, you know, is, is this going to be the year somebody topples Leon? You know, I think Chelsea are getting closer every year. Man City now, you know, with, with Sam and Rose and, and Abby and Luke, you know, I think they can take teams on and, and obviously Wolfsburg are always strong and Barcelona are getting stronger. So, yeah, I hope so. And uh, I think it'd be a very exciting end to the Champions League as well. And and to me, that that's still the, the, the biggest thing from a fan perspective of, you know, why FAWSL would trump NWSL is, you know, access to Champions League, right? And, mm. and to get that, to have that experience, you know, and I'm glad you, you've got some U.S. national teamers that are that are getting that that experience and just that, you know, it, it's it's such a great thing, like for, from a distance, you know, where w- once you get into soccer and you start learning what Champions League is, right, like actually knowing it's like, oh, it's not just anybody you have to be playing in Europe and you finished the top of your league right same with learning what FA Cup is right I, I love what Brie Vizzali said you know that it wasn't till the night before the FA Cup final when she was playing for West Ham that one of her teammates explained to her you know it's like it's like the Super Bowl of England mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she was like oh okay like, like she, you know she didn't understand what it was but it's like you learn more and more about these competitions and the history behind these competitions right and it's it's just so great to have that to watch especially when from an NWSL perspective we don't have challenge cup till first week of april regular season doesn't start till mid-may i'm sure there's going to be very little in terms of preseason games just because of of covid so it's like ah yes at least we can watch you know wsl and 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 champions league and all you know all that stuff and thank god for these these international games um so any any last tidbits you want to share about uh you know what's going on soccer wise o- o- over there because you know like you said it, it it seems like there's there's constantly news coming out of England when it when it comes to women's football no i think it's just it's just generally an exciting time i think you know the league has done a great job like other leagues have around the world to to continue obviously through this pandemic and you know, obviously the teams are being tested every week in in the WSL and in the championships. So it's just good times. You know, the league is getting stronger and, and I think this summer, again, will be interesting. You know, I'm sure the top teams will go after top players again from around Europe and maybe from America again. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think it's just, don't get me wrong, probably we, we could sit down again tomorrow night and the night after and something else would have happened. There always is, is something. But... It's just good, you know, the games are coming thick and fast, which is what we want. You know, we complained for so many years that the scheduled was a little bit thin and there probably weren't enough games. And now you've got league and then you've got midweek league games. I think we've got the Continental Cup semi-finals this midweek uh, and the final 
next month. And like you say, Champions League will be back next month. And yeah, before it's amazing because, you know, I remember when the season started and we were kind of wondering, you know, how it would go with COVID and things like that. And then suddenly you get to February and you think, wow, like there's not many games left and it just goes so incredibly quick, um, which is good because it means you're enjoying it and it means the product is good. So now that, I mean, look, there's always things happening. There's always managers changing and players changing further down the leagues that maybe, you know, don't get that attention worldwide. Um but no, it's just overall, I think it's just an exciting time for, for women's football in the UK, but I think everywhere in the world. I think it's just a sport that is continuing to grow and grow and grow day by day. And, and I think, you know, we always say, where will it be in, in a year or two years or five years? I just think it will keep going from strength to strength. And I think it, it's doubly exciting because I think when COVID did hit, you know, people did question women's sports and, and whether they would survive and whether teams would survive. And actually, they all have. And, and, you know, you're still getting new teams coming into it. Obviously, in NWSL with the expansion and a couple more coming in next year, it shows that actually people are not being put off investing in it. So I think it's just a generally very exciting time to be involved in it. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, women's soccer has done such a great job of taking advantage of such a weird time that, you know, NWSL being able to be the first pro league to come back in the U.S. and seeing incredible, you know, record-breaking ratings on CBS and, you know, everything that, that that's come after and and those expansion announcements and 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 of course the the national teamers making the move over to the the UK, right? It's like brings attention to to that. So it's like let's just hope it it continues and that we get to have some Olympics and we get to have a Euro and, and all these teams get to start having games again. Well, Rich, thank you so much for taking the time again to, to tell me everything that that's going on over there. And, and I hope you continue to have a lot of great soccer in your daily life. Not a problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me on as ever. Right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Tony from NWSL Analytica, one of the the best Twitter feeds to follow if you're not following it already. Tony, you you know, you're going to have to tell people now in case they didn't already know, you know, what country you're from, because that's the whole reason that (laughs) that we're chatting today. Oh, yeah. People Um, people already know. I mean, is it really obvious, you know, from, from your tweets? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, first and foremost, thank you, Jen, for having me again. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, basically, it's the reason I'm here is because I, because I'm Argentinian. Yeah, it feels kind <laughs> of odd saying it out loud, but I do follow the WSL and have a Twitter feed about the WSL, but I'm Argentinian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was it like for you to hear the news? I don't know if you heard it before it was public. I don't, I don't know if you had an inkling that it was going to happen, but you know, with Japan having to pull out of She Believes Cup, that Argentina named as the replacement team. Uh, yeah, I heard the day before um, because I have worked with some people in the uh, United States uh, national team um, coach and stuff. No, I'm not. I'm not friends with Blanco, just in case. <laughs> but I have, I have I have worked with some people 
in, in the organization. And they told me, uh, it was the day before at night and they sh the, the, the person involved just sent me a, a screenshot about, uh, with the, uh, the calendar of the games. And I was like, wait, why is Argentina listed with the United States, Canada, and Brazil? What, what is going on? It, it was sent without context. So I was like, Oh, that's weird. What is this? Yeah. So I was like, obviously what wanted to surprise me is I was, I was a couple of minutes thinking, what does these three teams have in common that Argentina doesn't? So I was trying to connect the dots and until I did connect the dots. And I, and I, and I, I had to, I told to a couple of people here in Argentina, a couple of friends, like you, you don't have to say anything until tomorrow. And then I checked out with people in the Argentinian camp and, you know, the usual, you don't make right. it public because you, you don't want to uh, spoil the job of anyone. But um, I, I, I was... I still have the same sensation, like when when I find out that I was both excited and a little bit terrified because of the context and how things are going on in Argentina and the national team. Um, we are not Brazil, and it's a little bit scary, to be honest. Yeah, and 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 I know what it's like where you kind of hear something that's going to happen before it's announced, and you don't want to be the person that you know, indicates that, you know, right. So you're just like waiting to see like is someone else going to leak it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like is someone yeah. else going to say it and then I can chime in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I did, I, I did make that. Uh, I did tweet yeah. something on my personal account. Like I can't say anything, but wait until tomorrow, 1 PM Argentina time. And you're going <laughs> to, <laughs> you're going to lose your mind. I was nice. used to say something else, but Nice. Well, I was surprised, you know, when I first saw some tweets like, hey, it sounds like Japan's dropping out and, and it's going to be Argentina because I think, you know, what we've often seen when there's been a team that, that drops out uh, against the U.S., that it usually ends up being another CONCACAF team that comes in. I, you know, I'm remembering in 2015, Australia pulling out of the victory tour because they were protesting with their federation. Yeah. So since, you know, suddenly it, it was Haiti, you know, I remember a friendly against Nigeria and Nigeria didn't get their visas. So, you know, boom, it's, it's Canada coming in at the last minute. So I guess what surprised me about this was that, you know, it wasn't just a CONCACAF team, you know, and it's also a team that, we have very, very rarely played. So, yeah. you know, U.S. last faced Argentina December 2014. Um, that's when Alyssa Nair got her first cap. <laughs> and yeah. before that, two friendlies in 1998. And that's it, right? So, so it, yeah. it, it's like there's not a lot of time played against uh, Ar Argentina. I'm, I'm glad it's a team that was in the 2019 Women's World Cup, right? So you've we, we've got a sense of, uh, you know, fans that even maybe don't know Argentina very well are like, oh, yeah, I remember them coming back in time, Scotland 3-3. Yeah. You know? Um, but Thanks what, for reminding me of that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, what I want to hear from you um you know, because we don't get to hear about Argentina very often and because they, you know, weren't able to be active in 2020, like who are the players that, you know, we need to be looking out for in She Believes? Oh, sure. Um, first, the, the, the roster of Argentina is not officially public. 
uh, mm-hmm. for the ship leaves. So it's going to be a little bit of a guessing game. Okay. Um, I do know that there is a WhatsApp group with players that supposedly are going to go. So I hope that this roster is out today. Sometimes they announce that. The last time, to give you an example of how Argentina works, um, the last time the men's team made a call-up, it was announced like uh, 16 minutes past midnight for some reason that I still don't understand. So <laughs> I expect a drop of a, of a roster at 3 a.m. Why not? <laughs> um, so given the guessing game, um, to keep the listeners a little bit of context, Argentina in terms of women's game, uh, since the World Cup, have uh, worked a lot in different areas to be better. We have now a semi-professional league. Uh, Boca Juniors just won the first uh, title as a semi-professional uh, league, uh, winning against the Replay 7-0. Um, those that already follow me know that because I was trying to drum up as loud as possible that st- stuff happened in South America. Um, so there is a lot more talent. There's a lot more talent going to Europe. Um, so I think that the players that you can find in YouTube, for example, and you may need to uh, guess in that they're going to go. You need to, to look at, I'm going to tell you that Dalili Polito, it's a key player in the structure for, for Carlos Borrello. She's playing at Juventus. She scored her first official goal in Europe a couple of weeks ago, playing in Copa Italia. Um, Diana Falfan, that used to be the double pivot uh, with Hippolito Aguayurquiza. Falfan still plays for Guayurquiza and she's in the same age. She's uh, 20, Hippolito's 18, uh, 19, sorry. And she's a really good midfielder. Um, take a look at Mariana La Roquette. She's going to play for Kansas City. So that's going to be important to, to yeah. uh, the NWSL fans to check a little bit of, of, of Larro, uh, as we used to call her. Um, Lorena Benitez, it's Definitely the best player in the Argentina League. I tweet about her a lot. I do want her and WSL and working on that. <laughs> but uh, and then you have a very, very, very tough as nails and uh, committed uh, duo centre backs in Aldana Cometi. She's one of the best centre backs in the Spanish league. And you have um, uh, Agustina Barroso that plays in Brazil. She plays at uh, Palmeiras and. The two of those centre backs, it's probably the best thing that we saw on the World Cup when we basically draw against Japan because the work of the defensive um, part. And then you have different names that I don't know if they're going to go. Milagros Otasu is one of the wing backs at Racing Club. She's really, really good, but I think she's not going. Um, you have Shail Oviedo, and she has experiences in Spain. She's not playing in Chile. And she's a very versatile and quick striker. There's a lot of talent on the team. Uh, Mariana Simanowski, she's playing at the Espanol de Barcelona and seems to be the natural replacement in the team to, to Anini. Um, yes, there's a lot of talent. And I hope that they will showcase that talent. So since the team hasn't been able to have uh, an official, you know, international game since, you know, uh, what, Pan Am, Pan Am Games final mm-hmm. in in late summer, twenty nineteen. I mean, exactly. what you know, like? 
what preparations, you know, are they going to be able to do? I mean, at least there's been, you know, you mentioned a semi-pro league. So at least, you know, would you say these players are maybe a little bit more active than they would have been two years ago? Or, you know, what? how would you describe, uh, you know, like the context for for Argentina going into She Believes? Uh, it's complicated. Um I'm going to guess that Barrelo is going to call a lot of players from Boca Juniors being the last champions and having a good understanding between the players. So it, it was uh, many of the Boca Juniors players are already in the Argentinian setup, but I think he might add up a couple of players more just to uh, have some kind of cohesiveness between the players. Um, but also he said yesterday that given that the teams may uh, release the players really late, they may come to the first game of Chivalry's without prior training, which is a little bit odd. Because if you look at the calendar, there's no game in Spain whatsoever that weekend. Uh, This guy is a little bit used to, to have always a good excuse for bad performances. So I'm starting to think, okay, I do know where you come from because officially the teams have from Monday to Wednesday to release the players and the first game is on a Thursday. But there are no games that weekend, so that's a little bit odd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's always intrigue like this in in women's soccer, right? Where, like, uh, well, I guess it happens occasionally men's soccer too. Was it the 2016 Olympics where, like, the Nigerian team arrived, like, less than 24 hours from their, the kickoff of their first game, you know, where it's, it's like, I feel like, you know, we should all want the, the teams to be on as equal playing ground as much as possible. Right. You know, that, that when, you know, when you have a tournament like this, everybody's got access to the same facilities and, yeah. you know, same hotels and that kind of thing. And, you know, you would hope that, that the various federations, you know, and, and clubs would follow the procedures. Like you said, there's there's a FIFA window in February. You know, unlike you know in, in January, we saw yeah. some of the U.S. national team players not come to camp because their clubs didn't have to. All the Colombian you know, players, we know, local players, for example. Right, right. You know, so but this there's there's a window, and the window isn't just the games, but days before and a few days after. Where, like you're saying, you know, starting that Monday before the first Thursday, she believes yeah. game is when you know that you're you're supposed to be able to get your national team players, you know, and especially when we know that, that Canada and, and USA at the very least will, will probably have their players earlier than that Monday. Yeah. Right. Like it's, I, I think that's huge. And especially following, you know, having not played in, in 2020. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I do want to, I do want to hear about like how you've seen maybe a little bit of evolution in Argentina women's soccer in terms of the, the, the club scene, right? Like, do you yeah. think that that is that infrastructure growing and helping the development of the national team? I will, I will say yes. Um, there's a lot of teams and clubs here in Argentina that used to not care a lot about women's soccer. They're right now are working um at least to try to be better, try to give the players the tools and and investment they uh, they deserve, and find ways to the coaching staff to be competent at least. It's it always feel and maybe 
it's because we are looking too much outside Argentina, but sometimes you feel like a little bit like it's half an effort. Like, okay, you're trying, but you're just doing it because otherwise you're going to be publicly uh, killed in the eye of the, of the fans or something like that. And right. it, it gives you that kind of test, you know, because all our traditional uh, teams with male football or male soccer established for, I don't know, 70 years, 100 years. But I do see some evolution of, on, on the on the level of playing. I see evolution of the uh, on the players. They're getting better. They're getting more, more uh, equally fit and equally technical to the players in Europe. Uh, if you tell me uh, where I would put Argentina, uh, on the local local league, I will say it's kind of similar getting to the level of championship in England. Um, it's getting there. I, there's obviously standouts and players are really good that go to Europe and shine super quickly. I do believe Lorena Benitez, whenever she, she leaves Argentina, she's going to shine because she's head and shoulders above everybody else here. But then you have Otasu, uh, Milagros Diaz, uh, the show is going to shine eventually. Uh, Rocio Correa, young players that I know that when they leave, they're going to be really good. I want to add to the, the thing about being prepared for the show leaves that also we have to think about visas because the invitation came a kind of late. So getting the paperwork to go to the United States is also a, a, a little bit of a, a roadblock uh, on that That's sense. A good point. That's a very good point. Uh... Yeah. I know that Argentina had a tour before the World Cup where we play against universities. I think we play against the University of Utah, I think. Uh, so that may be the inclination from the U.S. Soccer Federation to invite Argentina because they toured the country. So they thought, OK, at least some players, we have the visas. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a really good point. Really, really good, really good insight. Because um, I think we all assume it's like, yeah, the team just comes, but no, there, there's so much uh, behind the scenes paperwork that has yeah. to happen. Like, like the friendly that I referenced, you know, years ago, where uh, U.S. was supposed to play Nigeria, and Nigeria, I don't know, waited too long to try to get their visas or something like that. So, like a week out, they're like, we can't come. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. so <laughs> and that's that's probably why we we ended up with Canada, who of course was going to have no problem. Um, yeah, I mean, the United States and Canada basically have all the players in yeah. in the territory, so yeah. it's, it's it's not it's never a playing field, a level playing field. Brazil already have their camp on the way without some of the Europeans, but they have I don't know fifteen players training right now. So well, yeah, I, I expect the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, and tell me a little bit about some of the older players on the Argentina roster, like you know, um, Venino Correa, like still be playing at thirty-seven. I mean, goalkeeper, obviously, so you can keep playing that. <laughs> but but it's like, I think that's extraordinary when you're talking about you know a federation that has been you know very sporadic in its support, right? Um. But I also think that means that, you know, like you've got someone that can be a leader to the young player, player, same for like Chavez and, you know, maybe Szymanowski and some of the older players, right. That, that have been on the roster, right. Like, like it's nice to look at this roster, um, 
and and I'm looking at just like their general roster, not because we don't know what the She Believes roster is, but it's like the age spread is everywhere from 18 to 37, as opposed to, you know, sometimes with countries like this where their play has been sporadic, when they do get a team together, it tends to be almost all young players. So like, I I like saying that that there's a good spread of, of age ranges and you know players with um, you know experience. Right, that's yeah. probably not as much as experience as, as they'd like to have. But this is not just you know, this is not totally throwing them to the sharks. No, absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna break a couple of hearts. Uh, okay. Because somebody tweeted me about Vanilla Correa uh, when the news went out, and I, I had whoever to f- fell in love with her performance in the World Cup. Uh, she has a broken leg. So she, she's not going to go to She Believes, okay. um, sadly, because, yeah, Vanina, I think it's part of the glue that held the group together. Um, her, her, her story where she had to to stop playing to take care of, of her two children, uh, working as a cashier in a supermarket, and then coming back for the Copa America, qualify for the World Cup and play the World Cup. It's, it's amazing. Um, but also we have a lot of experienced players that uh, can do the trick uh, of leading the group. Uh, Vanessa Santana has been playing a lot of time in Europe, um, established a play for, for in Europe, then playing Colombia, won the Libertadores. She is playing right now in, at Boca Juniors. She's 27, but um, she's one of the most experienced players there. Uh, Sole Jaimes, uh, if called up, she played in China. She played for Lyon. She won the, the Champions League. She's the only Argentinian to play there, to win the Champions League. Um, there's a lot of experience um, in the team. Uh, so it's, it's not the same situation as Colombia, definitely. Um, but when it comes to, like we said before, uh, the treatment from Federation, the, the timing of the trainings and the call-ups and all that, it's where you feel could it could be better. And for whoever, I, I saw a tweet that I felt not to um, answer because some people like to, you know, be negative about it, saying it's, it's not Japan, that we are not Japan. And yeah, we are not Japan. Historically, if we never got to a World Cup final. We never won anything big. But I do remind people that Argentina draw against Japan, nil-nil. I mean, yes. Yes. we could we could be in, 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 in that level. Of course, we are still really far behind to the Japanese uh, federation in terms of support to the players, support to the coaching staff, and support to women's game. But we do have the talent and we do have what it takes to maybe give a surprise. Uh, I talk with a lot of people and, and maybe getting a draw against Canada or against Brazil. It's already, for us, it's already a win, uh, knowing that the, the, the local local federation doesn't care as much as we would like to. Uh, and I know maybe we can give a surprise against the United States, even if my logical say, side says, hmm, now, Tony, you're wrong. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that it's it's not that bad of a downside. It's just we are not a traditional team in terms of success. But that, that steps forward given not only by the decisions, but people in the federation, but for the players, the people that it's 
always supporting the, the, the women's game uh, here in the last 10, five years has made Argentina evolve so much so quickly that if one day we get a coaching staff who cares and a president of the federation that really cares, I think we could be like Canada or we could be like, I don't know, uh, Spain that also evolved a lot in 10 years. Um, I think we could, we could give good competition and I encourage people to like in the game against Colombia to care about the players. Um, don't say that the player, that the games should be cut off, called off because of the situation. It shouldn't be cut off by COVID. I know it's a downside. I know it's, we, we hope to don't get any positive cases during the games, but it's an opportunity to each and every player to maybe get a better uh, future in the game. And that's something that shouldn't be overlooked. It's important that young players have the chance to show themselves to the war stage, like in the World Cup, and and get the opportunities and uh, and the contracts that they deserve. Well, and, and I think it's a valid point about COVID. And, and one of the things that I really respect that U.S. soccer is doing with She Believes and like they did with the, the camp and the Columbia friendlies, like, you know, you're basically entering a bubble, right? That's why yeah. all the games are being played at Orlando. They're not traveling around, you know, and Orlando is where MLS had its bubble last summer. So yes. you already have these venues and hotels and facilities and medical staff that have already been doing this like, you know, the kind of the, the, the testing and the protocols. And so, you know, if, if if I'm a soccer player, I would probably feel safer there than, than anywhere else, right? You have the most resources, everything you need all in one place, right? So, uh, you know, I, I would think that that's got to make the Argentinian players feel good where it's, it's like you're yeah. not just randomly traveling, you're traveling probably to one of the safest places in the U.S. You know, like, um, you know, it's, it's like, and I hope they tell them like, okay, you're not allowed to leave and go anywhere else in Orlando because things can be pretty crazy, but like stay in this, you know, resort pocket with, you know, and, and you're good. Right. And you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll probably well, as long they have, day and all that stuff. As long they have enough Sherwa for the Matis and Alfajores, I think they're going to be all right. I, I don't think yeah. Like to wander too too far away. Well, and last question for you: um, What do you think about the order of the matches? Because when first when I saw the schedule for She Believes was released, I was a little a little bummed that U.S. was playing Canada in the first matchup because you know that that's a great rivalry. We haven't seen those two play in more than two years, so I was hoping that would be the second or third match. and then when you had Argentina replace Japan, that means they, they didn't change the order of everything. They just slotted Argentina into Japan's games. So that means that U.S. plays Argentina last. So do you think that's a possible good thing for Argentina or a possible extra obstacle for Argentina that maybe they'll be more tired or having played Brazil and Canada that maybe that'll be a good lead in to playing the defending World Cup champ. Uh, there's many ways to see that uh, tiredness is a thing, surely. But if we get, I mean, I see it like in the World Cup, like if we get a draw 
against Brazil or against Canada, we can play with a, uh, with a different mindset against the United States. Um, I don't, I don't think we're going to draw three, three. That would be cool for this spectacle. That would be cool. <laughs> really great that we, we should call that a holiday, uh, yes. for years moving forward. But I think that we, if we achieve that kind of little, um, goal of saying, okay, we are not probably going to win, but we're going to show ourselves and, and show that we can compete on this level. Playing against the United States will be a little bit more natural for this place. I don't want to say relax, but like they can show themselves and not be too pressured to maybe achieve something that was achieved. That's a familiar also, opponent, right? They've, they've played. That's a familiar opponent. They've played Brazil many times. Yeah. 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 I, I, I expect a little bit of um, hard tackles on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 talking about rivalries, there's no rivalries Argentina Brazil. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's a good start for any tournament. Like you, you want a spectacle. Maybe we're gonna Brazil is gonna win four 0 but we, we, our players prize so much of of the colors of of the shirt. They kind of give them all. The, and yeah, maybe some some late tackles and rough uh, show showing will be there. And I do kind of expect it, but. I mean, we have some players that play in Brazil and they know Portuguese and some Brazilian players that play in Spain. So some insults. Now there is no, 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 no many fans on the stadium and you can hear anything. That will be fun. I will love that for, for, for the memes and, and some Twitter love. Um, but also, I think that maybe playing a United States that already won, she believes, in the ideal case. Yeah. Maybe we can, we can get some more playing level playing field and then you'd like to say okay we're gonna play i don't know <laughs> okay okay I'm, I'm thinking about it say okay we're gonna play the b team but the b team show is gonna have i don't know christy Mewes and macario and <laughs> stuff is made yeah. and it still feels terrifying but um playing a, a more relaxed maybe united states with a team that doesn't feel the need to uh get a gold and get a draw or a win uh will be good for this spectacle because it's going to be a back and forth game. And yeah, I think playing the United States last might play for the better unless the United States, I don't know, draw against Canada and feels the need to win against Argentina to win, she believes. And that's going to be tough. But hoping that the United States win, win the two first games and we can get on about it and just enjoy the game, which is what I want. <laughs> well, and, and I hope that, you know, that, that whole week of, of She Believes that you can enjoy that as much as possible, regardless of, of the performances and the results, because I, I mean, this just has to be really exciting for the Argentinian players. I mean, I, I've had friends over the years, whenever they see, you know, us um, with, you know, beating up on a, on, a, on another team, they're like, oh, that's so unfair to the other team. Why would they want to play the U.S.? And I try to explain. It's like, hey, if you want to get better, you play a team better than you. And to have the opportunity to play the defending World World Cup champ, in addition to, you know, your rival Brazil and Canada, who's been in the top 10 for a long time, like, yeah, that, that that's an incredible opportunity. And that's here's the beginning of their preparations for the 2023 Women's World Cup cycle. 
Yeah, and translating to what happened with Colombia, I can imagine, I don't know, the younger players that get to play or maybe some some players that maybe are not that young but never had the opportunity to play somewhere else than Argentina. I know I, I will be pretty excited. I will, I will, it will be really hard for me to sleep the day before thinking, okay, tomorrow I may uh, contest for a ball in the box against Alex Morgan. And I, I wouldn't be able to sleep, to be honest. So if you think about it, it's it's important for those players. It's important to get that experience. And yeah, as, as a fan, I will, I will enjoy it anyway, too. I will make jokes. I'm right telling people in, on Twitter that don't expect me to root for the, for the United States that day because that's that's not going to happen. Um, and that will, that will be fun. That, that, that adds another thing. Yeah, in some way, it feels a little bit on purpose, like, okay, this is a new account that is having a lot of followers lately. Where's where is the guy from? Oh, from Argentina. Okay, let's put Argentina on the Shibali. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you made it happen. Well, yeah. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to talk no Argentina and she believes and keep up the great work with NWSL Analytica. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you Like you said, you're, everybody's welcome to follow me. Uh, except that day, I will always be up to take as I can to the United States players uh, in Europe or in WSL when it comes back. And again, drumming up about the things that happens in Latin America because I think uh, it deserves to, to be known that we are growing, but there's still a, lot way, a long way to go. So I think Thank you for the spotlight again, uh, Janice. It's really good to be back and talk with you. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. The 2020 NWSL Almanac produced by Keeper Notes. It's gone to the printer. It'll be ready to ship next week. It is more than 370 pages of NWSL info, including comprehensive statistic, game results, um, notes for every season of the league, including leaders, color photos, 2020 Challenge Cup, 2020 Fall Series data, all kinds of great stuff. You can order the print edition at keepernotes.com. Like I said, I'll be able to ship that next week. Or you can order the PDF, which is available for download now. You can even buy both of them together. Just head to KeeperNotes.com, click on NWSL Almanacs. And to keep up with the NWSL rosters, including draftees who, whose rights are held, even if they're not in camp right now, also preseason trialists, uh, international signings, go to Woso Nerd Links at KeeperNotes.com. You can click on the Google Sheet of Rosters. That's available all the time. I try to keep it very updated. If you ever see an error in it, feel free to email me, keeper at keepernotes.com. And another place you should check out, if you haven't already, is my YouTube channel. It's called Woso Nostalgia. Uh, I just added a lot of new videos, mostly Canada-related, because uh, I found a treasure trove of Canada soccer videos, but many Canada games against the USA. Lots of Christine Sinclair goals. Um, and I also set up a link on the Woso Nerdlings page uh, to videos that YouTube typically blocks like Olympic and World Cup videos. So you definitely want to hit the Woso Nerd Links page on keepernotes.com, scroll down and find the private viewing page. 
And if you have any old women's soccer videos, uh, even VHS, DVD, even beta, hell, I'll take them. I'll convert them for you for free as long as you send them to me. Uh, then I'll put them up on YouTube and send you back a digital copy. I'm talking WSA, WPS, any U.S. national team, any World Cup or Olympic game uh, that you haven't already seen on YouTube, um, any other interesting coverage, send me an email, keeper at keepernotes.com for details. Seriously, I will convert your videos for free. And last but not least, in just two weeks, we will have the kickoff of the sixth edition of the She Believes Cup with the U.S. women facing Canada, Brazil, and now Argentina. All matches will be played in Orlando, just like the Columbia Friendlies were, and all will be broadcast live on Fox Sports 1. For more details about those games, see ussoccer.com. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Got to thank everybody for listening, sharing, tweeting, subscribing, posting, all those great things that you guys do. And of course, big shout out to my producer, Sean Ringrose, whose podcast you can check out at anchor.fm slash Gen Orange. And that is G-E-N Orange, as in Generation Orange, a great Dynamo podcast. So thanks to Sean. Also, thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.